0: If you have your Bible's electronic devices, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. This is week 2 of a two-week series called The Good Life. And we're looking at this issue of the good life, that the good life might be right in front of you. In other words, it's an attitude, it's a perspective uh, that we have as believers. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about this issue of stress-free living and talk to you about this issue of worry and anxiety and how to handle your worries. And and so today, we're not going to give superficial answers or superficial remedies to this issue of worry and stress in your life, because if we're honest, all of us may have carried some worries in, in this room today, and some of our worries- may be bigger than others, but they're big to us. And so how do you deal with that? How do you deal in, in life in which we live? How do you deal with the issue of worry? How do you deal with the issue of stress? The story is told about this, this pilot that was flying an airplane over the Atlantic. He was about two hours away from the airport. He, he heard some, some gnawing that was going on behind him. He turned and looked in, in a little uh, storage area of his small plane. He noticed that there was a rat that, w- that, it, that was in the back of his plane and the rat was like gnawing on some electrical cables. Now listen, he couldn't get up and do anything about it. He was also concerned about what cables the rat was gnawing on and would he lose some, some power, some ability to control the airplane. He realized he was too far away from the airport to turn around, and then he got to thinking. He says, you know what? Rodents, rats, are designed to live on the ground, not at a higher altitude. So he just simply climbed to a higher altitude uh, to where sooner or later he noticed that the gnawing had, had stopped. There's something about this issue of worry. Worry is like, is like a rodent. It's like a rat in our life that slowly gnaws away at the vitals of our soul. This slowly can gnaw away at your joy and your peace and your happiness. When you look at this issue of worry, you realize that worry threatens us at our core. It threatens our joy. It threatens our, our peace of mind. And left unchecked, not knowing what to do with the worries of this world it can wreak spiritual havoc, spiritual disaster in your life. And here's what Paul tells us in Philippians, this issue of worry, that worry cannot live in the secret places of the God, our Father. That worry cannot live at the higher altitudes, of worship and prayer and what it means to connect with him. And so Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, teaches us how to eliminate this issue of worry or anxiety in our life. So here's what Paul writes. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he writes these words and he says, "Do Do not be anxious about anything, in other words, anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen, if we're honest, all of us worry from time to time. Some of us worry at the level that it it carries over into anxiety, and it affects our health. It affects our physical health, our mental health. Uh, we, We have heavy stress as a result of that. So this morning, I want to give you three things. I want to give you the the prohibition, the prescription, and the promise of this issue of worry and how to deal with this issue in your life. So the first thing is this, is the prohibition. The first thing that Paul gives us and the first thing that Scripture gives us is the prohibition to worship. In other words, come into that place and listen, it is a learned behavior. And a lot of times Christianity takes a lot of hard work to come to the place to where you realize that, you know what, God is bigger. God is bigger than my fears. God is bigger than the things that I'm going through. God is bigger than even my dreams. Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about everything. anything. So, so here's the prohibition. <coughs> but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, when you look at Scripture and you start learning that there is something different about worry and planning for the future. There is something difference between worry and concern about the future. In other words, worrying about, the, worrying about the future is different about being concerned about the future. So Paul is not saying we shouldn't have concern about the future. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't plan for the future. Paul himself in Philippians, we've read it, you know it right, that he, he talks about he had a plan for the future. He's going to go to Spain, then he was going to go to Rome. And then from Rome he wanted to reach the, the unreached people groups of the world of his time with the gospel. And so we, we know it's not wrong to plan. Fact is fact is when you when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs encourages that we should be we should be like the the ant. That, that prepares for the future, that, that stores up and works and stores up uh, food and water for the future. So it's not wrong to be concerned about the future. It is not wrong to plan for the future. It's not wrong to save for retirement. It's not wrong to save for your children's education, to buy a life insurance policy, to put smoke alarms in your house or antifreeze in your car. Because when you look at this issue, you realize that sometimes a proper concern for the future eliminates worry. Students know this, right? That if you have an upcoming test and you you don't properly prepare for that test, you don't have concern for that test, and then the closer you get to that test, the more anxiety, the more worry you have because you're not properly prepared. In other words, this, concern anticipates coming events and takes the appropriate actions that many times eliminates worry. But anxiety is different. Anxiety anticipates potential disasters in areas that we cannot control. And then we fret about it. See, anxiety, when you just look at this, anxiety always anticipates the worst. Anxiety is always asking this question what if? What if, what if there's a fire? What if I lose my job? What if I have a car accident? What if there's a nuclear attack? What if, what if the economy tanks? What if we go through a recession? What if we go through a, de- uh, a depression? What if I get ill? What if I get sick? See, anxiety focuses on events that we have absolutely no control over. And so that's why Paul says, you know what? Don't be, don't be anxious about, about anything. Don't be anxious about the things that you cannot control. And so there's four reasons that Scripture gives us that wor- worry is dangerous, that worry is, is, is a problem in our life. And here they are. The first one is this. One of the reasons that, that there's a prohibition against wor- wor- worry is this, is it is futile. Worry is futile. In other words, it's a, it's a waste of time and attention. See, wor- listen, worry, worry cannot change the past, no matter how much we worry about it. And guess what? Worry cannot change the future. Worry cannot change your past. Worry cannot change the future. And you know what worry can do? Worry can destroy the joy and the peace. Worry can make you miserable today. In other words, this issue of worry, worry exaggerates the problems. That's one of the reasons it's, it's futile. Have you ever noticed this? I've noticed this. The more that I focus on my worries, the bigger the problem gets and the smaller God gets. The more that I focus on my worries, all of a sudden I don't understand that, guess what, God, you are bigger than my circumstance. You are bigger than my fears. You are bigger than what I'm walking through. I've also learned that no matter how much I worry over things that I cannot change, it has never worked. Listen, if, if I can change a situation, change it. But if I can't, it does not help to worry. If I can change a situation and have a conversation with a person, make some adjustments in my life, then I should do that. But you know what? If I cannot change the situation, if it is outside of my control, then what the Scripture says, it does not help to worry. Luke 12, 25, Jesus says this. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It it is estimated by people who do statistics and research that that only 8% of the things that we worry about Ever happen? Early in my Christian life, I came to Christ in my twenties, and so I'm in this like like singles uh, Bible study. And so our pastor at the time was leading that Bible study, and just one of the things that just really marked me early in my Christian life is he had us go through an exercise. He gave us an envelope and a blank piece of paper, and he says, "I want you to self-address this envelope to yourself." Um, and then on this piece of paper, I want you to write the top three things that you're worried about. The top three things that are keeping you up late at night, you know, interrupting your sleep, all of those other things. I want to list, list those things out. And so we did that. We, we folded up the, the, the piece of paper, put it in the envelope, gave it back to him, and six months later, he, he mailed those letters to us. It was an amazing thing. You know what? There's a different top three list that I have. I I no longer worried about those things. Those things took care of themselves. And the first thing is this, is worry is futile. The second thing is this, worry is destructive. Worry is not only futile, but what Scripture says is destructive. Uh, Many years ago, I was going through a season in ministry, and I I was like worried about everything. And so I had a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Stuart McWilliams, uh, Fellowship of the Rocky Springs, Uh, sent me a card. I've kept that card. On the front of the card it says, if you're tempted to worry, remember. And I opened it up on the inside. It had these words. A raisin was once a happy grape. Worry shrivels us up. Worry is not only a Worry is not only a waste of time, but it shrivels us up. It, it, it shrivels up our our personality. It, it, it damages our health. It it destroys our joy. It destroys our energy. And. Worry distracts us, and it distracts us from concentrating on concentrating on the things that we need to, f- to focus on. Thomas Carlyle, writer, he wrote these words, and, and he said he had a neighbor in London who, who raised chickens. And he, he protested to his neighbor that his neighbor's rooster disturbed his sleep with its loud crowing. And so owner says, well, I don't know why you're complaining about this. My rooster only crows two or three times a night. And Thomas Carlyle replied, and he says, but... If you only knew how I suffer waiting for him to crow, that's our problem, isn't it? That's our problem with anxiety, and that's our problem with worry, is we anticipate the worst. We anticipate the coming of a negative, and it destroys our now, it destroys our present, it destroys our peace worry damages us in fact is doctors will tell you when you worry excessively it can create ulcers and and headaches and insomnia and all kinds of stress related issues see we we weren't designed we weren't made to worry right in other words worry is a learned behavior we we got grandkids we got grandkids over in the the, the, the children's ministry right now and one thing that i, I noticed about grandkids and I noticed about our kids is they did they didn't they didn't start out worrying, right? I, we, we had some really great family vacations. I can never remember a time when our daughters were young, Brittany and Amanda, and we were headed out on vacation. I can never remember them pulling us aside and says, you know what? Do you know the way? I'm worried. We, do we have enough gas to get there? You know, are you sure the park's open? You know, are you sure you know where to stop? Are you sure you know where we're going to rest? Do you have hotel reservations? Do you have plane reservations? I never remember any of that. You know what I remember? They trusted us. Worry is an issue of trust. And so what he says is, is he says that it's destructive. Another thing is this, it's contagious. Man, worry is contagious. Have you ever noticed that? All it takes is one worrier in the family, and the whole family has anxiety. All it takes is one worrier at your company, and guess what? The whole company gets upset. All it takes is one worrier, listen, in a church, and the church can become unsettled. Worry is contagious. I mean, the children of Israel, the children of Israel... God has called them to go into the promised land, and God has promised them that you can go in and you can take the land, and it, and, and I'm going to give you the land. And so they get right up to the good life. They get right up to the promised land. And all of a sudden, they decide we're going to send 12 spies in. We're going to send 12 spies in for a strategy of how we can take the land. They send 12 spies in. The 12 spies come out, and two are positive. Two say, you know what? God's faithful. God can take care of us. We can take the land just as he said. The other ten, you know what the other ten were? They were negative. In other words, in the other ten, they had anxiety. The other ten, they were what-if people. In other words, they had anxiety. They were what-if people. And they started saying, what if? What if we can't defi- uh, defeat the giants? What if we can't defeat the fortified cities? What if we fail? What if God isn't faithful? What if we die, and then what will happen to our children? In other words... Two million people. Did they believe the two positive ones or did they believe the, two, the ten negative ones? You know who they believed? They believed the negatives. Why? Because this issue of worry and anxiety, it is contagious. And as a result of that, two million people wandered in the wilderness of loneliness. When they were right there at the good life, they were right there at the promised land. Listen, I'm telling you. One of the reasons that worry is so destructive, it keeps you from the good life. It keeps you from living in the present. It keeps you from having joy and peace in the situations that you're in. Here's another thing that's destructive about it. It is faithless. Worry is is at at its root, at its core. Worry doesn't trust God. You see, when we we worry, you know what we're really saying? God, I, I don't know that I can trust you. God, I don't know that you're going to take care of me. I don't know that you're going to provide. See, I I don't know if you know this, but worry has a a voice. And God's word may say, "I, I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But you know what worry says? Worry says, you're going to abandon me. Worry says, you're going to leave me. God's word may say, and it does. That he promises to work all things good for those who love him. Worry simply says, I don't think it's going to be good at all. I don't don't think it's going to work out. God's word says that you can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. Worry says, I don't think I can get through this storm. I don't think I can get through this crisis. I, God, I, I don't know that you're bigger than my fears. I don't know that you're bigger than my problems. Oswald Chambers, who I read from quite often out of his book, Upmost for His Highest. Oswald Chambers writes these words and he says, Unbelief begins when we say, I will not trust what I cannot see. All of our fret and worry is caused by calculating our future without God. You see, worry is distrustful of our Heavenly Father who says, I'll I'll take care of you. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, He writes these words, or He says these words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? You see, this, this issue of worry, this, it refuses to trust God. Now listen, if anybody had a reason to worry, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, remember when he penned these words, when he wrote, wrote these words, he's sitting in a Roman prison, he's awaiting trial uh, with the chance of, of execution. And yet he writes to his friends back in Philippi, and he writes to his friends and he tells them a couple of things. He says, I've, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. We looked at that last week with Honest Living, whether well-fed, whether in need, whether in plenty, I have learned the secret of of being content in all situations. And then he goes on and says, and he says, and learn, do not worry. In other words, he he gave them a prescription to worry. Watch this. We'll go on. Here's second principle, the prescription. Verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. (coughs) And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now listen, on the surface, that can sound superficial. On the surface, that sounds superficial. You worry, just pray about it. People can push back and say, I do pray about it. I still worry. I do pray about it. I still have anxiety. I think there's a key, couple of key words for us to understand, to grab hold of this, of what Paul is saying. The first key word is this issue of everything. Paul says that we should pray about everything. In other words, this, if it's worth worrying about, it is worth praying about. It means that we trust God to control every detail of our life. In other words, we quit trying to control the things we cannot control. We quit trying to control things that only God can control. Someone defined worry as this, assuming responsibility that God never intended us to have. At its core, it's trying to play God. In other words, people would say, well, you know what? I I don't know that I have time to pray. Listen, I'm telling you, if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. And if we prayed about all the things that we worry about, I think we would have a lot less to worry about. See, worry, Scripture never says, in fact, is, Scripture does say, worry does not change anything, but prayer does. Prayer is what changes things. When you get in touch with God Spurgeon said this Spurgeon said anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow but it empties today of its strength scripture says that we pray about everything not just religious stuff we pray about the things that we're worrying about in other words if it's big enough to worry about it's big enough to pray about because God listen God is bigger God is bigger than your fears God is bigger than your anxiety. God is bigger than the circumstances that you're going through. This issue of prayer, what Scripture tells us is an unbelievable stress reliever. That all of the things that I'm irritated about and stressed about, just learn and, and I'm telling you, it's deeper than prayer. Prayer is a part of it, but prayer should be a place to where we, we release the things that are, are weighing us down. To him, That's why Simon Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7, just cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In other words, in the Greek, that word cast means to let go. It means to drop. It means to unload. It means to release. And so many times, some of the reasons we don't sleep and some of the reasons we are tired all the time is because we're trying to solve issues and problems by our own power we're trying to control things that guess what if we're honest we'd realize i I can't even i can't even control that and the problem is is most of us when we pray we're not casting like the scripture says dropping it we're casting like we're fishing to where we we throw it out and we reel it back in to worry some more and the scripture talks about just letting it go In other words, to this place to where you just trust him. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, 32, and he says, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But you seek first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice he never says, Nothing bad will ever happen to you. But he simply says, You trust me, and I will guide you, and I will protect your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Here's, here's another key word, just real quickly, that we need to grab onto it's this issue of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, or, or being grateful, or learning how to worship. In other words, we express things to, to God for his blessings and his care. In other words, it's, it's attitude, it's perspective that even in the crisis coming and making a, make, making a grateful list. In other words, reminding yourself that the, the things that God has done for you. Listen, nothing cures worry like a grateful spirit. Here, here's an interesting thing, and, and this is why worship is just so critical to this, uh, and and so important for us to understand. When you you look at the book of Psalms, or let me back up, when you you look at the Jewish people and the way in which they they worshipped, and the book of Psalms was kind of like their hymnal. The book of Psalms was kind of like the text that they would use to worship by. And here's the interesting thing about this. The Jewish people, when they would worship, they would sing simultaneously, you brought us out, and you're bringing us out. It's unbelievable. They were singing simultaneously in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a storm. God, we remember when you brought us out. We remember the answered prayer. We remember how you delivered us. God, we remember you brought us out, and we are believing now that you are bringing us out. This is something about worship. Listen, let me tell you something. Your worship should never depend on your circumstances. Your worship is not contingent on your circumstances. And sometimes we have got to worship and sometimes we have got to sing because He brought us out in the past. And we are trusting Him that He is bringing us out now, even though we may not be able to see it. That just as He was faithful in the past, He's going to be faithful in the future. In other words, your worship is not contingent upon your circumstances. When you worship, you don't look at your circumstances. You know what you look at? You look at God's track record. You look at God's body of work and say, even though I'm going through difficulty, even though I'm going through crisis, even though I've lost a job, even though I'm going through financial difficulty, even though I'm going through marital problems, even though I'm going through a season that, you know what? I don't have a clue why this is happening to me. God, I'm going to look at your whole body of work. I'm going to look at your character. And I'm going to remember that you have brought me out of crisis and you are bringing me out now. God has always been and he he always will be. And I can say, God, I trust you because you are faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because of that, I will worship you. You worship him in difficulties in life because he is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he brought you out, and guess what? He's going to continue to bring you out. I mean, it's this issue of worship. It's this issue. Listen, I'm telling you, sometimes Christianity is hard work. This is a hard work of Christianity. You know how you've arrived into the good life and your attitude and your perspective changes is when all of a sudden you realize my identity is not in my situation, is not in my circumstances, not in my popularity, what people are saying about me, my success, my identity is not found in my circumstances. My identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, I can be grateful I don't know if you've noticed this, but some of the most unhappiest people I've been around are ungrateful. They're not like grateful for anything. I mean, in other words, in their life, nothing makes them happy. Nothing satisfies them. The fact is, when you talk to them about joy, when you talk to them about peace, or when you talk to them about happiness, and my, my the way I kind of remember it is this, is there really if and when people, or when and then people, When God does this, I'll have joy. When God takes care of this, I'll be different. Are there then people? Then I'll be happy. When such and such happens, then I'll be happy. Listen, if you are depressed, if you are dealing with with worry and anxiety, then come to the place to make a grateful list. Come to the place to where you worship him. Get your eyes off of the problem. And on to him, listen, let me tell you something just real quick. And this is free. This is for free for you. The 1030 service. We're singing that song, Cornerstone. That is a name, right? Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> and We're talking about the storm. I had this thought going on in my mind. We have to learn to worship wet. Remember the disciples? They're in the boat with Jesus, there's a storm raging, and the waves are coming over, and they wake up Jesus, remember, and Jesus wakes up and stills the storm. You know what they do? They worship him in the midst of the storm. They worship him wet. You want to learn what it means not to have anxiety? What it means to worship him, worship is not contingent on your circumstances. Psalm 4 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here's the last thing the promise. Paul gives a promise in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus the word that paul uses guard is a is a military term remember he's in a he's in a prison in rome he's chained to a guard he's probably thinking how can i get them to understand what the peace of god does that it guards your heart and mind and he uses a military term and so what paul is saying that the peace of god is going to be like a swat team around you that is going to protect guard your heart, and mind. And please understand this passage does not say he's going to guard your body. The Bible is realistic. We go through hurt. We go through pain. We go through difficulty. And the difference in the Christian life and the difference with a Christian is trust. That you know what? In the midst of the storm, My anchor is secure behind the veil. And God is going to protect my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that says, I I want you to understand this type of peace. I want you to understand the the peace that God promises you. Not an exemption from the storm. Not free from wounds. uh, Not free from hurt but peace in the midst of the storm where we're able to worship wet. Isaiah 4, 6 says, There will be a booth for shade by day for, from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Just hours before that, Jesus was going to be crucif- crucified, Jesus says, My peace, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as my Father gives. And as a result of that, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, believe also in the Father. In other words, Jesus promises something than the the world offers. See, the world says, when you talk to the world about peace, you know what the world says? Oh, peace? That's when you're like free from stress, you're free from worry, you're free from problems, you're free from, from anxiety. But Jesus promises something better. He promises peace in the midst of the storm. Peace in the midst of the crisis. Peace in the midst of the things that we walk through. And if we're not careful, we can turn, turn and focus on worry. But God promises that if you'll turn to him, you can come to that place to where that kind of peace in the midst of storm transcends your understanding. You can go through a storm. And you can still have peace in the midst of the storm. You ever been around somebody? They're going through unbelievable difficulty. They've lost a job. They've lost a marriage. They've lost a relationship. They've lost their health. They've lost a loved one. The bottom is dropped out in their life. And they still have joy. And they still have peace. Doesn't that do something to you? Isn't isn't that where we say, you know what, I don't understand that. Listen, let me tell you something. When you go through that storm and when you have that peace, you're not going to understand it either. You know why? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It is peace in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of storm. And he promises you, guess what? In the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your lowest moment, it is possible to have peace that you don't even understand. Because it doesn't come from you. It comes from him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?